God is so good. He is good all the time. Um, I want to let you all know that my book is available in the hallway. And uh, if we run out, you can put it in order and I will mail it to your house. Uh, you can do that today. Uh, so if you need a, a physical copy, hard copy of the book, you can get it in the hallway after the service today. All right, I'm so excited for 2013, and one of the things that is happening for me in the, in the year 2013 is God is changing my preaching. Uh, God has been speaking very practically to me this year. It's, it's interesting that uh, it seemed like I went through a stage where he was speaking a lot of deep things to me that were really hard to apply, but now he's coming down to the nitty-gritty, and he's speaking to me in ways that are very quickly applicable and very easy for us to understand. God has been speaking to us about, about growth this year. We're going to grow in several different uh, areas of our lives this year. Uh, but we're going to be intentional about growing in these areas of our lives this year. We're not just going to dream about it. We're not just going to talk about it. But we're actually going to make steps towards maturity. We're talking about applying intentionality to our growth this year. Yeah. But spiritual growth is a kind of growth that's really hard to quantify. You know, I remember when I was a little boy, you know, five, six, seven years old, I wanted to get taller so bad. And so I would go up to the wall and I would stand up as straight as I could and take a pencil and draw a mark on the wall. And then I would come back to it every week to see had I grown past that little mark on the wall. And I could quantify every step of growth in my life. I could come back and say, I grew a half an inch in the last two months. I grew six inches this year. That is, I could look at that mark on the wall and I could see my growth and I could see my progress. You know, a lot of people talk about growing spiritually. They say, man, I've grown so much spiritually this year. But if somebody were to ask you, what does that mean? Could you actually answer that question? That is, if somebody were to ask you, what are the marks on the wall that indicate for you that you've grown spiritually? Where were you last year? And where are you this year? And how far apart are they? Have you grown? And in what ways have you grown spiritually? Well, today I want to talk about, I want to give you just a simple tool that will help you to quantify your spiritual growth, but it should also activate you to get serious about your spiritual growth and help each and every one of us to understand how to grow spiritually and how to move closer to God in our walk with God. You know, your walk with God began with a prayer when you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, but it doesn't end with that prayer. A lot of people think I can just say a prayer, invite Jesus to come into my life, and he does everything from there. No, you got to walk with him in every day. It's just like if I were to, to get married and stand at the altar and say I do, but then never spend another moment with my wife after that. You know, if I don't spend time building intimacy with her after making that commitment, then I'm actually not going to grow in it. I'm not going to grow in my relationship with her. And you might even, you're probably going to say, you guys aren't even married. No, we stood at the altar and said I do. Yeah, but you never walked together. You never lived together. You never built any intimacy together. You never went through the pain of developing that intimacy. You never hurt one another. You didn't make a decision to live with each other every day. You don't spend any time together. And so you're not really married. All you did was say, I do, at an altar. You need to actually get serious about living out that commitment. Well, it's the same thing in our walks with Jesus Christ. A lot of people said a prayer at an altar and invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of their life, but it was just a prayer. There was no intentionality about walking with him each and every day, and because there was a lack of intentionality, there's a lack of intimacy. And if there's a lack of intimacy, there's a lack of fruitfulness, because fruitfulness always comes from intimacy. Same thing in a, in a physical relationship, in a marriage between a man and a woman. Their fruitfulness, children are born through their intimacy. And it's the same thing in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You will be fruitful in your spiritual life if you are intentional about building intimacy with him. 
So we're going to get into this a little bit. What does that mean? I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 14. And when you get there, say amen. Amen. Somebody said amen, and I hadn't even told what the verse was yet. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's because she already knew. She was in first service, so she was there. (laughs) Uh, Ephesians 3.14. When you get there, say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is what it says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Let me ask you a question. When you kneel before the Father, do you have a reason? Or are you just doing the Christian thing to do? When you pray, are you just going through the spiritual motions, or do you expect an outcome? Paul says, I kneel before the Father, but I got a reason. Paul says, I spend time in prayer, but my time in prayer is purposive, not religious. Meaning I'm not just beating at the air, going through religious motions. I'm not just doing the Christian thing to do. But when I bow my knee before the Father, I expect a very specific result. And so he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derive its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp. Look at your neighbor and say grasp. grasp. How high, I'm sorry, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Paul, first of all, he prays for a spiritual reality to take place in your life. I pray that you would be strengthened with might in your inner being by his spirit. That is, I pray that God's spirit might strengthen you internally so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. He's talking about an internal reality of the dwelling of Christ that comes through faith. And he says, and I pray that you might be rooted and established in love. But then he says, the outflow of these things is that you might grasp some things. When he's talking about grasping, he's talking about understanding. He's talking about laying hold of. He's talking about firm possession of something. When you grasp something, you firmly possess it. It's in your hand and it's not getting out of your hand. You're not letting it go. Why? Because you've learned how to grasp it. Paul says, I pray that you might grasp something. I pray that you might have power together with all of the saints to grasp how high and how deep and how broad And how wide is the love of Christ? Let me ask you a question. Do you know the difference between grasping the height of his love and the depths of his love? Can you grasp something and say, this is the height of his love? Can you grasp something else and say, this is the wideness of it? Now I've grasped the width of it. Now I've grasped the breadth of it. This is the broadness of his love. Now I'm in the depths of his love. Now I'm in the heights of his love. It seems that Paul is speaking of four very specific things. He says, I pray that you'd grasp it. I pray that you'd understand it. Let me propose to you today that spiritual growth is about growing in your ability to grasp the height of God's love, the depth of God's love, the breadth of God's love, and the width of God's love. And I propose to you today that there are many Christians that have grasped the height but not the depth. Some who have grasped the depth but not the height. Some who have grasped his width, but not his breadth. And because of that, we've got unbalanced Christians, and anything unbalanced is going to topple over and fall as soon as the right kind of pressure is applied to it. Let me tell you how you know if there's a lack of balance in your life. 
If anything in your life can push you over in any place or any area in your life, there's a lack of balance in that area. That is, there is a failure to have grasped one of these things. I've got to stop saying grasp because I can't say it right. Get a hold of. You've got to learn to get a hold of all four of these things. So what does this mean? How do I know that I've gotten a hold of the height of God's love? What are we talking about the height of God's love? When I'm talking about getting a hold of the height of God's love, I'm talking about the realm of spiritual experience. Getting a hold of the height of God's love is when he takes you to a high place. Now, in in Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. That is, God will take you to a high place. The thing about an eagle is that it doesn't matter what kind of storm an eagle finds himself in the midst of. He simply flies straight up through the clouds. And on the other side of the storm, there's always a sunny day. And so when God begins to cause you to grasp the height of his love, he teaches you how to ascend above the storm. He teaches you how to fly into the sunshine in the midst of any trial in life. He takes you above it. That is, the height of God's love is the place where you dwell with him far above all power and principality and dominion and might and every name that is named both in this age and that which is to come. The height of his love is the place where you are out of the reach of the enemy, the place where no trial can touch you, the place where even though you're in the world, you're not of it, the place where you are no longer moved, no longer tossed to and fro by every wind. Why? Because you're flying above it. God has taken you above it. And the mark of the height of his love is joy. The mark of it is the joy of the Lord. The mark of it is the joy of the Lord. And most of us, we never progress far enough spiritually to actually come into the heights. You know what I'm talking about? The opposite of living in the heights of his love is living in the depths of the pit. You say, well, I'm in a deep place. Yeah, you're deep in the pit. Not the deep of his love, but the deep of the pit. That is, the enemy has taken you so far down into the pit that you can't even cry. You don't even know what the joy of the Lord means. But when God takes you, listen, and the joy of the Lord is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is based upon what is happening. But joy is completely distinct from the circumstances and situations of your life. When God gives you joy, it doesn't matter what's happening. You know, I'll never forget the pastor I grew up under, Dr. B.B. Patton. She's the founder of Patton University in Oakland, California. And she started the church back then in 1944. And I was a fourth generation uh, individual who grew up there in that house. My great-grandmother got saved there. My grandmother got saved there. My dad grew up there. And all of my cousins... And uh, matter of fact, you go to the church today, if you meet some black folks at that church, they're probably my family members. Uh, And so, uh, but my pastor, Dr. Patton, she had several major tragedies in her life. And one of the tragedies was her 35-year-old son died suddenly in a motorcycle accident. I mean, he went out riding his motorcycle with his friends, 35 years old, and he died. He got hit by a a truck and was killed instantly. And very, I mean, it was, it was a tr- very tragically, I mean, it was, it was super tragic. And I'll never forget, the news hit us like a sledgehammer. I was 13 years old at the time, and we got the call, every member of the congregation show up at the church. And I mean, that place was packed out with folks, and we didn't know what was happening, and so we just began crying out to God. We knew something was wrong, and so we just began crying out to God. And when the news came, when the call came that, that Tom was dead, the grieving that came over that place... I mean, the grief, I mean, the, tra- the tragedy of it, the weight and, uh, and burden of that tragedy nearly, dist- it was like people were crippling under the burden of it. And I'll never forget watching Dr. Patton and thinking to myself at 13 years of age, she's going she's gonna to crumble under this. She's not going to be able to handle this. This is too deep of a tragedy. 
And she got up, and she said the first Sunday, she said, I made a decision long ago that I would never question God. And I'm not going to start today. And she said, and don't get me wrong, she grieved. She mourned the death of her son. It was hard for her. There were moments in the, she said, I don't understand it. I don't get it. One day I'll be with him and I'll be able to ask him the question. I'll be with God and I'll be able to ask him the question. But right now, I don't know. I don't understand. But all I know is that God is good. Amen. That's all I know is that God is good. I remember I marveled seeing that. I was 13 years old. I thought, how could you even muster the strength to say that? You know, and all of a sudden, I remember two Sundays later, she came back to the church And when she walked in, you could see the glory of the Lord on her face. And when she went up to the pulpit to preach, she stood up behind the podium and she said, she said, I want to tell you that this week God has taken me up above it. And she just began to rejoice. I mean, you could see the joy in her face and she was excited and the spirit of God was moving. And she said, God has taken me up above it. I know I'm in a storm, but God has taken me up above this storm and he's given me joy. And I just saw this joy like I had never seen in anyone before. The kind of joy that only God can give. That Hallelujah. it can't be feigned. It it can't be it can't be put on. It can't be faked. That's that 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 impregnable joy. It only comes from the Lord. And she just began to rejoice, and we began to rejoice with her. You know, at times she'd come beneath the clouds, and she would break down in the middle of a sermon and just begin to weep and just begin to cry because the grieving would come over her again. And then the Lord would take her back up above the clouds. Let me ask you a question: When was the last time you actually went above the clouds? When was the last time the Spirit of the Lord took you up above it? Listen, you you haven't even lost your son. You just don't have enough money in the bank. And that's enough to keep you down in the pit. Your car broke down last week and you're in the pit. We're always making excuses for where we are instead of making a decision. I'm going to grasp the height of his love. That is, I'm not going to get up off of my knees when I go into my prayer closet until he takes me up above the clouds. That is, I'm going to reach for a higher place in his presence. The mark of spiritual height is joy. He takes you to a high place of joy. And let me tell you something. To go to the high place, you've got to climb. Now, I know it's all by grace and it's not by works and it's not about striving. I know that. But the scripture says in Psalm 24, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? You've got to ascend the hill of the Lord. You've got to make a decision. I'm not staying at this place anymore, but I'm going to go up above this thing. I'm going to go into the presence of the Lord. When we're talking about spiritual height, we're talking about the encounter with the presence of the Lord. We're talking about the glory of the Lord. We're talking about becoming conscious of the glory of the Lord. We're talking about going beyond a Christian theology that says he's with me. I'm not, I'm not interested in the theology that tells me he's with me. I'm talking about seeing him face to face. That's the spiritual height. That's when he takes you up to a place where he begins to show you his glory, where you begin to encounter him in the reality of who you of who he is. And let me tell you something. If you need spiritual height in your life, stop waiting around for God to take you up and make a decision. You're going to go up. Amen. That is, there's times in prayer when you begin to cry out and say, God, if you don't come touch me, I'm going to come up there and touch you. Amen. Right. Holy Spirit, if you don't move me, I'm getting ready to move you in a second. Amen. Come on. Are you with? Are you hearing me this morning? That is, you have to make a decision. It's intentional. I'm going to go above this place. And so Paul, he said, I cry out day and night that God would cause you to grasp the height of his love. That you would grasp it, that you'd get a hold of it, that you'd hold on to it and begin to say that I dwell in a high place. You know, at that high place where you're you're impenetrable by the devil's devices. 
Uh, David said in Psalm 91.14, God spoke through David and said, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. And then he said this, I will set him on high because he has known my name. I'll set him on high. That word high there is a Hebrew idiom for a place that's out of reach. He says, I'll set you on high, a place where the devil can stand on his tippy toes, but he still can't reach you. A place where you jump. You know what? I talk to all kinds of people who struggle with all kinds of temptation, but the one thing that everyone who struggles with temptation, and all of us struggle with temptation of some sort, but the one thing all of us have in common is when you are under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you don't struggle with any temptation. I mean, at that moment in in the worship service, when the Spirit of God rushes on you, you're not battling any thoughts. You're not fighting any temptation. You're not struggling against sin. You know why? Because you're in the presence of the living God. Listen, that's where you're supposed to live. That moment under the anointing of the Spirit of God, that's who you are. You think you're the other guy that battles. You are not the other guy that battles. You're the guy that stands in the high place, the guy that God lifts up and seats at his right hand in Christ Jesus, far above all power and principality and dominion and might and every name that is named, both in this age and that which is to come. God wants to cause us to grasp the high things. And so the mark of it is joy, but the path to it is worship and prayer. Worship and prayer. That is, if there is a lack of height in your life, spiritual height, if you are not tall enough spiritually, you're constantly dwelling on the ground when God wants to take you up above the clouds. Worship. Worship and intercession. Intercession. Let me tell you why intercession takes you to a higher place. Because it gets your mind off of you. You know what intercession is? Intercession is simple. Pray for somebody else. That's intercession. You're not interceding when you're praying for yourself. Oh, God, I need more money. Okay, yeah, that's nice. But pray for somebody else's money. You want God to take you up above your financial problems? Pray for somebody else's money. Pray for somebody else's situation. You want God to lift you up above yours? You know what you find is that if you would stop and minister to somebody else in the midst of your trial, God will take you up above your trial. And when you see God take somebody else up above their trial through your ministry, God, you get to tag along with them. (laughs) God wants to take you to a higher place. And then Paul says, I want you to grasp the depths of his love. You know, there's some Christians that got the high thing down, but they don't have the deep thing down. See, if you got height but no depth, all you got is a high. Did you get that? If you got height but no depth, all you got is a high. You've turned the spiritual life into a drug. It's simply an experiential thing. And there's some Christians that can laugh in the spirit and fall out under the power and roll around the floor and get lint in their hair. But they're about as shallow as a kiddie pool. No depth whatsoever. Just speaking in tongues. Prophesying. And half the time, prophylion. God's got nothing to do with it. Why? Because all Christianity is for you is an experience. Have you seen those people that talk about token the, token the ghost? This is the most ridiculous thing. You know, people... They do that at church. Like, that's the Holy Spirit. Oh, I got the Holy Ghost. Acting like I'm high. It's just a high. All it is is an experience. 
You know, there's folks that come to church and fall out and shake and rattle and roll. And listen, I'm not against the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I say, Holy Spirit, come and do whatever you want. I want people to get blasted by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want those same people to live lives that are stable and that are deep. What am I talking about when I'm talking about spiritual depth? I'm talking about wisdom and revelation. The mark of spiritual depth is wisdom and revelation. I was looking at this passage of scripture over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And first, uh, Paul quotes this passage from Isaiah 64, 4. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has mind conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We'd love to read that and stop there. Can you please read the next verse? But God has revealed them. Look at your neighbor and say, but God has revealed them. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. When you're talking about the deep things, it goes on to say the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The spirit is not searching out shallow things. The Spirit is searching out deep things and revealing the deep things of God. When you're talking about mystery, you're talking about the things that God has revealed, not hidden. The Old Testament was the age of mystery. The New Testament was the age of revelation. Remember the disciples asked Jesus, Why is it that you speak to the crowds in parables, but you speak plainly to us? And Jesus said, Because to you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Do you know what shallow people do? They hit something they don't understand, and they say, Lord, I don't understand it. This is beyond my understanding. Oh, well. God works in mysterious ways. I don't need to know anything. I don't need to understand anything. I don't need any wisdom. I just need to speak in tongues. As long as it feels good. Ooh, I feel feel the Holy Ghost. I ain't got no wisdom, no understanding. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. But deep people are constantly saying, Holy Spirit, begin to reveal to me those deep things. Take me down deeper. Do you see we're constantly living on the shallow surface and never sing beneath it. And because, do you know, this is the danger, the most dangerous thing. See, people think you grow a lot in Christ because you've walked with him for a long time. So, well, I'm real spiritual deep. Why? Because I've been in the church for 15 years. Not necessarily. You may just be a really good Pharisee. That's like saying you can drive real good because you've been driving a long time. You and I both know people who have been driving for 20, 30 years and still can't drive. (laughs) Time does not make everything better. Sometimes all time does is ingrain the wrong thing. Establish you in the wrong thing. Matter of fact, there's a sense in which walking with God or being in the church for a long time is an obstacle to your spiritual growth. Because you become familiar And familiarity breeds contempt. And God can no longer reveal himself to someone who has become familiar with him. Revelation requires awe. And if you can open up a passage of scripture and read it without standing in awe of his word, you ain't going to get no revelation. (laughs) Revelation requires a, a process of defamiliarization. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know why you don't want to meditate on that verse? Because you think you know it already. (laughs) I've been saying that verse since I was three years old. And you think you know it so much that God can't even speak to you through it. You know where depth comes from? It comes through meditation. Meditating on the things of God. How about taking one verse of scripture and meditating on it day and night and saying, Lord, show me something deeper here. I've seen the surface of it, but show me something deeper. Show me something that goes beyond the historical situation of this verse. Show me something that goes beyond what can be read in a commentary. Show me, take me past the Sunday school version of of this verse. You see, so much of our Christianity needs to be rescued from Sunday school. There's passages in the Bible we don't even go to because we learned them in Sunday school and we see them as shallow passages. Like the Lord's Prayer. Just quote it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does hallowed mean? You ever stop and ask that or have you just been quoting it since you were like three years old? Hallowed be thy name. Your name wears a halo. That's what it means. Hallowed, haloed, haloed be your name. Your name wears a halo. You ever seen those pictures with the saints and they got a halo over their head? It says your name is haloed. It is the mark of holiness. That is your name is radiant. Your name is resplendent with light. How majestic is your name in all the earth? Let me ask you a question. When you hear his name, is it really hallowed in your hearing? Is it really glorious in your ears? Or is it just another name that we repeat again and again? Sinking deep. Taking the time to meditate on the mysteries of the kingdom until God begins to reveal himself in them. Now, all of a sudden, you're learning what it means to delve into the deep places. And there's believers that are high but not deep. And there's believers that are deep but not high. And if you get deep but not high, you're just... just, depressed (laughs) you go so down so far down deep so when we're talking about spiritual depth we're talking about an intimate knowledge of the inner workings of god we're we're talking about going down to the ocean floor of the spirit and Mm. beginning to examine the many different species of spiritual things Mm. that the average person never sees The average person never has any contact with these things, only the deep, only those that are willing to go down into the depths. As Theophan the recluse, the Russian mystic, talked about descending with the mind into the heart and there standing before the face of God. Mm. You ever learn how to descend with your mind into your heart and stand before the face of God? Mm. Learn to begin to see him in a deeper place. God wants to take you deeper. But here's the thing. When we're talking about depth, you think about a tree. A tree grows higher and it grows deeper. Which is more important? Your depth better be deeper than your height is high. I mean, think if a 20-foot tree had a two-foot root. It wouldn't take a storm to knock that thing out of the ground. Oh, just a little gentle breeze. Timber! How did that? That took you out? You see believers. This, this is the thing that blows me away. You see believers speaking in tongues and, you know... Falling out under the power, singing the songs, jumping and dancing at the altar and freaking out and lay hands on. They get first ones to get slain in the spirit. But all it takes is one little problem in their life and they're praying prayers like, God, don't you love me? What? God, have you abandoned me? 
Lord, is this what you do to people you love? (laughs) You sure have a funny way of showing it. Can you love me less? If you find yourself praying prayers like that, it's because you don't have any roots. Individuals who are deep in God know how to walk through difficulty without being moved. And that's why David said that the man who meditates on God's word day and night is like a tree planted by rivers of water who brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf doesn't wither and whatever he does prospers. The man who meditates on God's word day and night, his roots grow so deep that a storm can come, and the most violent of storms can come, and he doesn't move. Why? Because his roots are deeper than his height. Mm-hmm. How deep are your roots? Do you know in, in, in certain cities where storms have come and hurricanes have come, there are certain trees that are famous. Trees, he said, that tree stood through 16 hurricanes. You know how many other trees were uprooted on this street? You ever seen somebody that was walking so strong for God that they were just a a model? You thought, man, this person is awesome. And then you find they've walked away from the Lord. What does that do to you? You know what happened? They had no root. And then Paul says, I pray that you would grasp the breadth of his love. What does it mean to be a broad believer? Not in that way, David. Breadth has to do with knowledge. Just as depth has to do with wisdom. Breadth has to do with knowledge. Do you know if you follow the the program that I provide in my book, you'll meditate on 84 verses of scripture this year, and you'll go deep in those 84 verses of scripture. But at the end of the year, you'll only know 84 verses of scripture. (laughs) Think if you just took Psalm 23.1 and meditated on it for five years. That one verse. You would be deeper in revelation in that one verse than anybody who's ever walked a planet. You would have deeper revelation on that verse than David did when he wrote it. You would be so deep in that verse that you would just look at somebody and say, the Lord is my shepherd, and they'd break down and start bawling. They'd start crying. That was, uh, I never heard it like that before. That's how much depth you would have, but you would only know one verse of scripture. Breath is your ability to know the word of God from beginning to end. How broad is your knowledge of scripture? Let me ask you this question. How many books are in your Bible? Really? Are there 66 books in your Bible? When was the last time you read the book of Habakkuk? Okay, you're down to 65. How about Haggai? 64. If you were to take the books out of your Bible that you actually read and put them together in one book, how many books would be in there? Would you have three books in your Bible? Five books in your Bible? One of the greatest... You need to add books to your Bible. One of the greatest problems with Christianity in North America is biblical illiteracy. We got Christians that have been in the church for years and don't know the Bible. Say, I want want a broader knowledge of Scripture. Well, read it. I mean, just read the thing. You got 15 of them in your home. You got 25 different translations. And you got the internet. You can go to BibleGateway.com and have access to 48 more translations. 
in 28 different languages. You got Hebrew and Greek study tools for free online. You probably got a Strong's Concordance, a Young's Analytical Literal Concordance, and you got a Bible dictionary in your house. And not only that, you got one of them big old white King James versions on your coffee table. You know? That big old, you know, three foot wide, four foot, you know, that that big one. I'm going to start carrying that one, preaching out of that one. (laughs) That's the religious translation. Do you know if you read three and a half chapters a day, you'll read through the whole Bible in a year? Not hard. Not hard. Make it seven, you'll read through it in six months. You'll read through the whole Bible twice a year. Read 15 chapters a day, and you'll read through the whole Bible in, six, in three months. You'll read through the Bible four times a year. Do you know how you gain breadth in the Word of God? You read it. You read it. Now, you know, when, folks, when people first come to faith in Christ, it's hard to come to the church because, you know, the preacher's talking about, yeah, and David said, and you're thinking, who's David? That's okay when you just got saved. But if you've been here for two years and you're still saying, who's David? You ain't got no excuse. So, well, I don't like when the pastor preaches because it goes over my head. That's because you don't read your Bible. Come on now. Just read the thing. It's right there. He said, well, I don't understand it. Well, that's okay. You know, when I first started reading the Bible, first of all, my first Bible was one of them little picture Bibles. I didn't even know it was a Bible. I thought it was a comic book. It was an awesome comic book, too. I remember going back, you know, to Genesis 1-1, you know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when it says the earth was formless and void, it just says there was nothing but darkness. And then there's just a little black mark. I remember thinking, I don't get it. And then the next one says, and then God said, let there be light. And then there's just a little yellow mark. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's light, you know. And I mean, I didn't understand half the stuff I read. And then I got into the stories. And I started reading that thing. Man, I read it from start to finish again and again and again. I was captivated. But you know what? When I graduated from that, you know what I graduated to? The King James Version. See, I grew up in a place where that was the only author, and it was the authorized King James Version. It had to say authorized on it. Because if it didn't say authorized, you couldn't read it. <laughs> that was the only, I, I'll never, I remember my King James Version Bible. Can you imagine a sixth grader reading out of the King James Version? I didn't understand a word I was reading. Hear me. I did not understand what I was reading. But you know what? I knew it was the Word of God, so I just kept reading. I knew it was the Word of God, so I just kept reading. I would go on prayer retreats where I would read whole books of the Bible and chapters of the Bible, and I'm thinking, I don't know what the, you know what I don't know what this means. You know, love vaunteth not itself. Vaunteth what the what, the, what in the word? You know. If thou seest thy brother in need and thou shuttest up the bowels of compassion against them, how dwelleth the love of God with thee? Like, Lord, have I shut my bowels against my brother? (laughs) If so, forgive me. Let me release them. (laughs) I'm not not shutting up my bowels against my brother anymore. (laughs) That means the love of God doesn't dwell with me then. I don't understand half of what I read. 
But you know what? I kept reading because I knew it was the word of God. I just kept reading. Let me tell you something. Just getting in the word is far more powerful than your immediate understanding of it. We always quit stuff that we don't immediately understand. Well, I don't understand, so we need to get a baby translation, like a, you know, a, a, the, the, what do they call it? The, um, the one that calls Barnabas Barney. Isn't there one? The, no, not the message. There's the, the Sesame Street version. <laughs> you know, we need a Blues Clues translation. And that's fine, too. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but what I'm saying is just keep reading it. Just keep getting it in you. You know, I spent so much time reading out of that King James Version in the 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade. I started memorizing out of that King James Version, whole chapters that I didn't understand. But do you know what happened? When I started getting into high school and college, my understanding started catching up with what I learned five years ago and six years ago. I would have aha experiences of what I memorized when I didn't understand it. It was like a time-release capsule. You just got to get that word in you. You just got to get it in you. And you need some breadth, not just depth. You need some height, not just breadth. You need all of the above. And then width. What does it look like to be a wide Christian? (laughs) Why are you shaking your head, Dell? I'm not looking at you. When we're talking about the width of your spiritual life, we're talking about your character. That is your ability to apply the things of the Spirit in your interactions with others and in your daily life. Now, the majority of people in this room know Jesus Christ and are saved. But without exception, everybody in this room has at least one place in your life where you ain't saved yet. I mean, Jesus just, not, just has not visited that part of your life yet. For some of you, it's your face. No, I, what I mean by that is you say, I'm happy in the Lord, but your face doesn't know it. <laughs> she thought I was making an ugly joke. No, some people say, I'm, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. So well, would you let your face know? didn't get the memo yet there's part of your life for some people it's the motorist in you you are full of the Holy Ghost until you get behind the wheel demons start coming out of everywhere you're full of the Holy Spirit until somebody disrespects you You're full of the Holy Spirit until you're sitting in front of a burrito supreme. I know, I resemble that comment. You know, there's believers that I call seared believers. The heat of God's presence has done nothing but touch their external. So that they have a Christian appearance on the outside. But as soon as you start connecting with them and get past that seared external appearance, they're bleeding all over the place on the inside. All kind of blood is running everywhere. They're the rarest, just raw on the inside. Now, don't get me wrong. I love me a medium rare steak. The rarer, the better. But not no medium rare believer. I'm talking about well done believers. Believers. 
where the, the heat and the fire and the power of God hasn't just touched your external, but it's gone all the way through your life. I'm talking about where you don't just shake at the altar because your body got a little touch of the power of God. I'm talking about that power of God has touched the driver when you're on the road. Amen. You know, because some folks, they got a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. But then they're driving, you know, 147 miles an hour. And you're thinking, you better let him drive. <laughs> He don't need to be the co-pilot. He needs to be the pilot. <laughs> otherwise, soon and very soon, you're going to be going to see the king. <laughs> no more driving there. <laughs> Are you saved when you go to work? Is your employee self saved? Or does that employee saved self just play some gospel music in your cubicle? You ever listen to Nephew Tommy? You seen the one where he called that deacon and prayed for him before he went to deliver surgery? He said, Deacon, I just called to pray for you before you go into your liver surgery. He said, yes, Lord, let's pray. He said, God, I pray you touch this deacon. And then all of a sudden he asked him, said, while they open you up, could I have one of your kidneys? Because I got a bad kidney. This is a prank call. When he asked for one of his kidneys, that deacon cursed him out with every... <laughs> every curse word. Did you just ask for one of my kidneys? A moment ago he was going, yes, Lord. Mm, hallelujah. And then when he asked for one of his kidneys, he cursed him out. See, when you go to church, you're on your guard. You're all dressed up, got your Bible, smiling at your family members. Come on, baby. Come on, kids. We're going to church. How you doing today? Oh, doing blessed and highly favored but when somebody catches you at 9.07 a.m. on Tuesday morning when you don't know anybody's watching you are you still blessed and highly favored <laughs> you ever see a couple fighting in the parking lot in the car in the car I mean, I mean looking at each other and somebody says hello hi handle this when we get home <laughs> sick of you come on baby let's go to church this is my wife my lovely wife many employees playing gospel music at their cubicle and not getting their work done. <laughs> Passing out tracks on the job, sharing Jesus with everybody, but can't get there on time. Wow. <laughs> You're in the university and you got up to argue with your professor when he said something negative about Christianity. But you're getting a D minus in the class. <laughs> in Acts chapter 16, there's these two guys, Paul and Silas. They had been beaten for nothing. And they had been thrown in jail and put in Roman stocks in prison. And the scripture says that at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing. And give praises to the Lord. 
That is, this is 9.07 Tuesday morning. I mean, this is not at church. There's no worship team. This is not when everything's going right. This is when, when everything that possibly could have went wrong went wrong. And when everything possibly could have went wrong, went wrong, they didn't all of a sudden turn into a gloomy Gus. You know what I'm talking about? You see believers where something goes wrong. I mean, there's two, there's really two extremes. One extreme is, is the world can be falling apart at home and then you just act like everything's great. But at home and when you're outside of church, you act like everything's falling apart. But then there's other believers that something falls apart outside the church and they got to be rude and nasty to everybody in the church. How are you today, bro? Leave me alone. I'm having a tough day. Uh, <laughs> Don't talk to me today. I need some space. <laughs> Paul and Silas in their midnight hour began to sing and give praises to God. That is when everything fell apart, what did they say? I think I feel a hallelujah coming on. When was the last time you felt a hallelujah coming on at midnight? And you never got beat and put in prison before. (laughs) You just, your car broke down. You got to get it worked on. And that was enough to take the hallelujah out of you. The width of your spiritual life is your ability to apply the power of God that's coming to your life in every situation in your life. You meet cert- certain people that are just spiritually mature. It doesn't matter what they go through. Yeah. It doesn't matter what they walk through. They're like, man, that's the way Jesus would have handled that person. That's the way Jesus would have responded to that situation. Man, that's the way. In other words, they didn't turn into a non-Christian. See, God needs to heal us of our atheism. Amen. Christians just become atheists at certain moments. <clears throat> And we think it's okay because we're going through something. God needs to heal us of our atheism. I don't know about you, but I want to be a Christian. I mean, just a Christian. Just saved in every area of my life. I don't want there to be a place in my life where the power of God doesn't shine through in everything I say and in all that I do. I don't want there to be an area of my life where God says, I get a lot of glory from my son, but in this place I, I receive no glory. I want God to be glorified in all that I do. But, you know, in order for us to walk there, we've got to begin to grasp the height that is the experience of his love, the depth, which is his wisdom and revelation, the breadth, which is the knowledge of what he's done, and the width, which is the application of our commitment to serve him, our character. Let me ask you a question. In which one of those areas do you need the most growth? As we're seeking to grow in our relationship with the Lord, can we say, I've grown higher this year. Amen. I feel his love more frequently. I, have, I live in a deeper spiritual, experiential awareness of his presence in my life. It's growing higher. I got more joy. I've grown deeper. The wisdom of God has just taken me to a deeper and deeper place. And I find that when I walk through trouble, I'm not toppled by it anymore. I've grown broader. I've learned more about his word than I have in any other prior year of my life. And I've grown wider. 
I've learned how to live and how to be a constant witness to his resurrection glory in every relationship, in every interaction, in every place of my life. If we can grow in those four areas and we can quantify it, you know you can explain it. Now we can be intentional about going to the next place. Now we can go somewhere. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I just speak your blessing over this house today in the name of Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would put a resolve within us Amen. Yes, Lord. to go to the next level. Lord, I bow my knee before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen each and every one of us with might in our inner being by your spirit so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, might have power together with all the saints to grasp how high, how deep, how broad, how wide, is the love of Christ. Take us higher. Take us deeper. Take us broader. Take us wider. Grow us. We don't want to stay where we are. We want to go to the next level. Grow us. We are desperate to go to the next level, to go to the next place. Take us. Show us the path. Open our eyes. Open our ears. I pray that you would put something in us that would begin to cry out. Put something within us that would begin to press. Open our hearts. Remove the spirit of apathy from among us. That apathetic spirit that says, I am where I am. And that's just it. I'm not willing to do anything to go to the next place. Remove that from us. And put a resolve in us. I'm not going to stay at this place any longer. But also put patient endurance in us. Because everything's not going to change overnight. It's a path. But that we would simply know that we're walking it. And that you are grace and strength for the journey. I speak your blessing over each and every one gathered in this place today. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Grace for the journey. Strength for the journey. Some of us here today, we just haven't been intentional at all. Maybe we just haven't understood how to be intentional about moving forward in these areas of our lives. But Lord, thank you that your word has come today to grant us clarity. Now we know how to reach. Now we know how to walk. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today that would say, you know, I have said a prayer at one time to invite Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. But it was just a prayer. I never actually made a decision to grow deeper with Him. But right now, I want to make that decision to grow deeper with Him. To actually walk toward Him. I pray for that person right now that your spirit would just rest upon their hearts and minds. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I just want to ask if that person... If it's you, you're ready to make that decision. 
I'm going to ask you to lift your hand so I can pray for you. Go ahead. I see that hand right there. Yeah, there you are. God, I thank you that that hand raised was a very powerful moment and a very powerful decision because someone just said today it's not about saying a prayer it's about walking with Jesus and I'm making the decision that I'm going to walk with him every day I speak your blessing over that person right now Holy Spirit would you just come heavy on that person right now and seal the commitment that they made to you today and put it within their hearts to connect deeply with the body to be rooted and established in the house of the Lord that she might grow up in all things into him who is the head. Jesus, we love you today. We give you all the praise and glory. And there's others here today. I just want to ask a simple question. You say, yeah, I'm walking with Jesus, but I have not been intentional about growing in him. Or maybe you would just say, Today I realize that I really need to get serious about growing in some areas with him. I'm going to make one decision today. All I'm asking is you to make one decision in one of those areas. Say, I'm going to focus on growing higher. This is what I'm going to do. I'm talking about getting specific. This is what I'm going to do to reach into that area. Growing higher, prayer and intercession. uh, Intercession and worship. Growing deeper, meditation, prayer. Meditating on scripture. Growing broader, study of scripture, reading scripture. Growing wider, accountability, loving intentionally, serving. I'm just going to ask you to make a decision in one of those areas today. What are you going to do to go to the next level in your walk with God in one of those areas? First thing I'm going to ask, if you're here this morning and you're willing and ready to make a decision some decision in one of those areas of something specific you're going to do to grow to the next level in your walk with the Lord, just lift your hand right where you are so that I see it. Yes. Yes. Good, 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 good. Awesome. Second thing I'm going to ask you to do, you can put your hands down now. Second thing I'm going to ask you to do is find a brother or sister in this house before you go home today and share that decision with them. And say, I'm going to ask you to hold me accountable to this. I've decided today that I'm going to do this. Nobody's telling you what to do. Nobody's telling you what that decision is. You're simply going to make it known to another brother or sister and say, hold me accountable. I'm going to do this. And ask me about it. I'm going to do this. But I'm going to get serious now about growing in my walk with Christ. Father, I just speak your blessing over each and every one. May the Lord go before you and be strength for the journey. May he grant you his grace in abundance. And may he release every provision and every good thing into your life by the power of his spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.